Dr. Gregory Jans is a best-selling author of over 45 books and the founder of the Center A Place of Hope, voted a top 10 center for depression treatment in the U.S. As the pioneer of whole person care, Dr. Jans is known as the messenger of hope. Now the nation's expert on anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationships, trauma, and PTSD, here is Dr. Gregory Jantz. Hi, it's Dr. Jantz. Here we are. It is a time of intensity. And by intensity, what I mean is we are seeing, and this is probably my most difficult topic ever to talk about. I'm talking about today this potential of suicide. I say potential because right now we're finding in that age range, and it's usually given, I just pulled the stats up, 12 to 17-year-olds, 17, 17 it's difficult to even communicate this, and our and the other range I give is 15 to 19. So let's say 12 years old to 19, critical age range. Of that, right now, one out of five in that age group, both male and female, any gender, has considered suicide. Of the one in five in that age, grade, age range, we are at the place where we're seeing about one in six. So one out of every six individuals, 12 to 19, have actually made a plan, made a plan researched, put together options for how they would uh, take their life. The topic of suicide today is our topic. And it's one that we all know somebody, we all know, if it's not in our immediate family, we all know somebody that is in our circle of friends and acquaintance that has committed suicide. Not a topic that I ever thought I would ever be talking about, let alone uh, we did a book here not long ago, So Much to Live For. Uh, the whole idea of doing a book on suicide or suicide prevention honestly was not on my radar. It wasn't uh, an area that I had given uh, full thought to before. We're in the middle, middle of a mental health and it's above a crisis. We're being told that the next pandemic, and the pandemic right now that would be in the epidemic category, so we've got epidemic, which is a whole lot of people, and we've got pandemic, which uh, is saying it's kind of everywhere and everyone, uh, is that of a mental health crisis. When we see the depression numbers, anxiety disordered numbers as high as we're seeing, we see addiction rates. Addiction rates of all types from digital addiction to uh, alcohol. The Alcohol Beverage Association tells us that over an eight-week period, they sold $8 billion, $1 billion a week over eight weeks of alcohol. How, how do you even, in a week's time, you sold a billion dollars and you made a record of sales of about $8 billion over eight weeks? So that's what's happening when we see uh, depression rates go up, we see anxiety rates go up, we'll see addiction. And that's just alcohol. We know cannabis, we know um, food addiction, we can put that in there, prescription drug usage uh, certainly can be there. I'll say digital and digital can be gaming. Uh, 
We know since the pandemic, about two and a half, three years, we've seen uh, the use of video games skyrocket. It's doubled with for our kids in particular. And most of the research says the least it's doubled by uh, 50%, but kids are spending more time than ever imaginable on video games. So we have a teen mental health epidemic that's moving itself along to become pandemic. What does that look like? Here's the things that we're looking for, This or the, the why. We have more lonely kids than ever before. Loneliness. We've got confusion. There seems to be so much confusion on what to believe, what's correct, and related to that is, is gender messages that are creating confusion. We didn't see this even just a, a few years ago, but the messaging is strong, and so the confusion is strong um, as it relates to about anything related to gender. We know that kids are, there's brain issues. We've, uh, through technology, through overuse of technology, through online school that didn't work because we had the highest academic failure ever in year 2021. What we know is that um, digitizing the brain, so to speak, overuse of technology on a developing brain creates an addictive brain, creates a craving brain, it creates a brain that wants more and more and more stimuli. That's one. And then we also, with our kids, have something called neurotoxins. We're looking at toxicities, uh, be it uh, byproducts of plastics, uh, uh, things that are put into our food. There's an increase in neurotoxins, and in other words, a, a toxicity levels to the brain that it is researchers are saying this is doing something, these toxicities. So here's the few of the issues we're looking at. Why, why do we have uh, kids? And you think about critical ages 12 to 17. Why would that be? across our country that suicide is the second leading cause of death of that age group. How, how could that be? And uh, there are certain counties, and we've looked at certain counties, that um, suicide has been the number one cause of death in that age group, number one, 12 to 17 year olds. All right. Well, other things we need to mention of what's happening is attention hyperactivity dif uh, disorder with kids. Um, is also something that we're seeing more and more um, diagnosis, more and more diagnosis for um, autism on the autism spectrum. Uh, this is social, everything from social cues to a, a total mind absorption, to ability to um, not handle outside stimuli, just normal developmental. And when we use the term autism, we're looking at this on a continuum that goes from mild to, to stronger symptoms. We know that there are, and the best way to put this, and I pulled this out of the research, is there's overlapping uh, influences that are causing fluctuations, fluctuations in the serotonin levels. So we've got serotonin in our brain, it's super important. Dopamine, is, uh, these two brain neurotransmitters. Serotonin, a lot to do with mood, a lot to do with sleep, a lot to do with appetite. All these things are being affected for our kids. And the dopamine levels, which is our feel-good chemical, we get that a lot of times from our exercise and so forth. Well, with kids, we're seeing great fluctuations in the serotonin level, which again, controls a lot to do with mood. 
Um, there's another very fascinating brain chemical I just want to put out right now, and that's uh, GABA, G-A-B-A. And it's actually an amino acid that's transferred and made into a, a brain neurotransmitter. Think of it this way. It's the brakes on the brain. It helps stop impulsive behavior, uh, acting out behavior. It, it's, it's a brain break. And uh, the GABA levels, um, and some of the research is saying it's these are off for our kids for whatever reason. All right. We know that if there's neural, or which is brain, inflammation, uh, the research is suggesting there's a higher level of uh, risk for suicide. Brain inflammation. Again, I'm still on the age group, uh, approximately 12 to, to 19. We're seeing that it's particularly zeroed in on those 12 to about 17. Uh, so uh, anytime we have brain inflammation, uh, things that would be autoimmune disorders and disease process for our young young generation, we start to see these are influencing factors that can promote the direction of suicide or suicide ideation, thinking about it. Um, we know that there is an enormous amount of activity going on in the social media world as it relates to our kids. And when I say social media, uh, this is everything from uh, TikTok to texting to uh, kids aren't really into Facebook anymore. But but everything going out there because kids run in herds, you know, for for a while, Snapchat was cool and everybody was on Snapchat and then it moves over to another app, etc. So they kind of run in large groups. This said, we know that um, the cyber bully behavior, uh, sex texting, uh, all these are factors for our kids that they're being bombarded with. It's nearly impossible to measure cyber bully behavior, uh, but this is online threats. This is, uh, it's an emotional abuse. It could lead to physical intimidation. But what does cyber bully behavior do to kids over time? How does that affect the brain? How does that affect the self-esteem? Our sense of value gets diminished. Um, and somebody says online, why don't you just kill yourself? And it's difficult to report, but there are kids who have been bullied online and threatened um, and that statement's been made and that's what the kids have done. They've taken their life. Wow. It, by the way, if you're a, a parent and I realize that this is a, a difficult podcast, difficult information, one that most of us need to have an, at least an awareness of what's going on. Um, but there's something I call caregiver stress. I made a few notes that, you know, if you're, living with somebody, uh, youth or adult, and there's been suicide attempts, suicide ideation, suicide language, great depths of despair, depression, you may find that this is like, it, it is so draining. And I wrote down, you may feel overwhelmed. You're obviously constantly worried, which means you're hyper vigilant to everything. You're always on edge. Uh, you're probably not sleeping well, uh, not enough sleep. You may feel just an overall sense of 
besides being overwhelmed, just that, that sadness. And I want to acknowledge that because if you're uh, a professional, a counselor, a loved one, uh, this has, carrying these burdens, uh, it really does represent significant chronic stress. And you live in a habitual state of what else should I be doing? What do I need to be doing? Because you feel like you have to uh, save this person's life, make sure they don't take their life. How does a person get to that point of taking their life? Well, one of the things is they get into a mentality that there is no way out. It is so overwhelming and it's so staggering in a person's life. It's just that push, push into a down, downward spiral of darkness. Um, that two things, a person says, I feel like there's no way out and there is no hope left. Hope is gone. And that's the uh, sense that they feel. Now, well, what else is going on? Well, we know that generally speaking, there's very high anxiety. That chronic anxiety could be present, uh, could have been present for a long time through the pandemic. I'm calling it the anxiety virus. People have developed a, uh, a pattern of fear in their life. It's as though fear has got a stronghold in their life. And we know that this anxiety is very real. It's very real in the effects it has on the body. We know that uh, for a person to be considering suicide or even have those kinds of thoughts or planning in their life, depression is pretty significant. And uh, you hear the term clinical depression. It is a deep depression that does not lift. They Maybe they've tried a lot of different, maybe counseling, different tools. Uh, I know people who have done all the all the things you hear advertised for depression. Um, and there's a lot of things being advertised right now. They've done it all. And uh, because there's a desperation and they feel like I've done it all and the depression's still there. I've tried every medication. I've done all the different unique therapies. I've tried brain stimulation. I've done it all and I nothing's working. And that's where they get to the places there's no way out and there's no hope left because I've done it all. And that's that's a sense that oftentimes a person who is suicidal have, have arrived at that. And we know that uh, they may feel very, very disconnected from others. Um, they may spend a lot of time online, but feel more lonely than ever. They may uh, have a sense, I wrote down the word false intimacy, that, that they, thought they were close to certain people online. You know, you meet somebody online, you go, oh, wow, they're my friend. But, and you feel an instant bonding, but it's a false instant intimacy. I have all these friends online, but they're not friends. All right, cyberbullying behavior could really be significant. This could everything from name calling to sexual um, te oriented texting. Uh, we have been involved here at the center, a place of hope with situations where uh, inappropriate pictures have been uh, shared or sent out. And then um, we had a situation where a college student uh, had taken some inappropriate pictures, sent those to, uh, in this case, it was a boyfriend. Things didn't go so well in the relationship. He says, I'm going to get you. And he sends it out um sexually oriented photographs to a very large group of college students and she 
the victim of this took her life. So these are the kinds of things that are happening uh, that we're seeing. What are the common threads? And today, as difficult as this topic is, uh, we do need to talk about it because I really believe, and I, I wrote it in the book here, there is so much to live for, but if you're at a place of no options, no way out, no hope, you, there is no way that you see that. And I, I also believe that. I also know that's true. We know that there is that sense of hopelessness as a common thread. There's the feeling of being trapped. In other words, no way out. There is a sense of a, of a despairing isolation. I am so disconnected, so isolated. Um, and that, that disconnect with other people that you feel not only totally alone, you feel so isolated that it's unbearable, uh, which leads us finally to the uh, despair, the sense of, of that great despair. If I have despair, I develop de despondency and despondency brings me to that place of, uh, of irrational thinking. I began to make and think about decisions that I normally would not. So. Well, we do know that and this is some of the research and today I'm just going to share just a little bit more information as it relates to research. But uh, when there's been death by suicide, we know that at the top of the list of concerns were relationship issues. Relationship issues, um, which could be an abusive relationship, could be failed relationships, but that's at the top of the list. And then also for a person who uh, has had death by suicide, there is a, a history of some crisis events, and they are typically afraid of the future crisis, that I, it's unbearable, I can't bear it, and so uh, death by suicide is a way to get out of the next perceived um, crisis. Substance use uh, is third on the list, uh, problematic, uh, substance use, addiction, um, very bottom of the list. It, it was actually the loss or fear of loss of, of housing or where you live. That was like the least uh, of the concerns. Again, relationships, crisis, substance abuse, uh, that was problematic. And a lot of times people say, well, if someone's considering suicide, do they have a mental disorder? And we do know that depression is at the top, followed, you know, depression and anxiety. And number two is psychosis. Now, psychosis is could be a, a temporary break from reality where we become so overwhelmed and so over our system is so overloaded, we have a temporary break, if you will, from reality. And we can't discern what truth is. And we usually are uh, full of very significant levels of fear. Um, during COVID, we saw emergency rooms begin to, um, it was a loosely given label, but COVID psychosis, where a person is actually having uh, a break from reality because the COVID fears, the COVID, I've overwhelmed, I've had enough, and it's been a tipping point. A lot of times this was the case for people who had post-traumatic stress disorder, they had trauma in their life, and COVID was like the tipping point that pushed them way over the edge. Um, I am asked, oftentimes of those who did commit suicide, um, 
you know, they're on drugs, uh, alcohol. What we know is approximately, now again, these are approximate numbers, but approximately 40% uh, who, who were doing suicide attempts. This doesn't mean that they were necessarily successful, but at least 40 plus percent uh, were uh, what we call acute alcohol intoxication. Acute alcohol intoxication. So this is um, significant in that uh, people usually are chemically altered or in a chemically altered state. There are some uh, deaths that um, with fentanyl, fentanyl is a state I live in, 2,000 some deaths, and the news release said, and counting. That's for one year. So far, fentanyl, synthetic painkiller that is highly, highly both addictive and deadly. All right. Um, we haven't mentioned yet military vets and suicide. Um, it was here, we, we would read about 20 to 22 of our vets uh, were committing suicide a day. Um, and this representative of all conflicts, such as from Vietnam to uh, Afghanistan, and we were seeing a desert storm, about 22 a day is generally what you would read. Um, that number it has gone down and we're seeing fewer. Uh, the delicate age group for those uh, military vets is about 18 to 34. Uh, is the age range where we're seeing most of the uh, suicides take place, 18 to 34. All right, healthcare workers. All right, we're kind of at high risk. Healthcare workers, number one on the list of, of actual suicides is psychiatrists. And psychiatrists followed by physicians, followed by dentists. Those that are in the helping professions, psychiatry, Physicians, followed by dentists, uh, are at some of the highest health or suicide rates in the healthcare workers. All right, here's a couple myths related to suicide, and I wanted to share these days. Suicide, if you are thinking about taking your life, you had mental illness. That's a myth. Talking about suicide gives an idea. No, talking about suicide and and engaging with the person, you may be opening up the window of, of, of hope ultimately because they're talking about it. And when you say, well, have you ever thought about harming yourself or taking your life? Uh, that's not planning an idea. That's actually opening up conversation. A person who's suicidal, they've already thought about all this. You're not giving them any ideas. Um, there's a myth I've heard people say, and I wrote it down, if someone's talking about suicide, uh, they're just looking for attention. Not the case at all. Um, some of these just show how disconnected we are from a person's uh, struggles. Um, we also know that um, myth is somebody's quote successful, uh, they um, won't be suicidal, which is interesting. Remember Robin Williams? designer Kate Spade. Um, we know that um, 
let's see, Naomi Judd. I mean, we can just start naming some that are a little more current. Who took their life by suicide, and from all outward appearances, we would put them in, quote, the successful category. How do you help somebody? And this is where we'll wrap up today. Be willing to talk to them. Um, trust yourself. You may have a sense in your gut that that something's amiss. I do hear people go, I wish I would have said something. I wish um, I would have talked to them. So move from... <coughs> Excuse me. Move from regret um, into a sense of, I'm going to say something. We also know that we cannot control another person. People who have made a decision for suicide sometimes will come across as relieved. They start to put everything in order. And you go, wow, they're better. And they have a sense of being better because they made a decision. When you get to the place that you cannot see there's a reason to live, you've passed into a zone of irrational thinking and disconnection from reality. There is a definite descent into darkness. Here's the things to be aware of. Disappointment, ongoing disappointment. Number two, ongoing discouragement. Number three, a person that feels demoralized. I have no value, no reason to live. And then finally, um, dis they're dis um, they feel dismissed. They are so dismissed by those that they want would want to have for their loved ones um, that they have a sense that I have no value, I have no meaning, and there is no hope. So what we do, what do we do here? We've got to um, ultimately come back to a place where I've revived my sense of purpose. Um, many times this is a slow process that a person can move slowly through a healing, uh, whether it's traumatic past, uh, whether there's been addiction, but we need to look at, you know what, in a, my belief in a spiritual sense, there is a real um, darkness that comes over a person that's all about self-destruction. And sometimes we need help to break out of that darkness and that stronghold that can uh, really speak against life. And so we don't want to handle suicide situations alone. We want to uh, help our loved ones, but we also want to be at a place where we know that there needs to be help beyond us. I personally, I pray for a person's protection. I pray that there is a pause so that we can get help. And the prayer of protection means I pray that their life will be preserved and they will prevail and have victory over the issues that have pushed them to this point. All right. I personally believe there is hope and that people do recover from a lifelong pattern of even suicide, darkness, stronghold in their life. And I believe in the power of recovered joy. All right. 
there's uh, is so much more in the book, so much to live for uh, as it relates to the suicide topic. And I just want to acknowledge a very difficult topic. If you've had a loved one um, that has taken their life or a friend, uh, the ripple effect of suicide and what that does in our lives is very significant. And we oftentimes need to receive some help in our own life because we can do blame and go, what if I would have, and get into self-blame. And so often uh, loved ones maybe feel like, well, I'm just gonna take my life too. And so it takes you down this pattern of lies and we need to speak truth. And hope comes when there's a plan. At times we need to have a plan for life. And there is life and there is hope.